الحمدللہ رب العالمین والصلاة والسلام على سیدنا ومولانا ابو القاسم المصرفہ محمد صلی اللہ محمد وآل محمد وعلى اہل بیت الطیبین الطاہرین المعصومین لا سیما بقیت اللہ فی الارضین روحی وارواح العالمین له الفدہ رب شرح لی صدری ویسر لی عمری وحل الاقتتا من لسانی یفقہ قولی We good? All right. So, brothers and sisters, inshallah, like I mentioned before, we're going to beginning, be beginning this lecture series, and we're covering the most fundamental concepts of Islam, but inshallah, the way that God intended them. So it might be a little bit different than what we've heard before, but that's fine. We're here to learn. Inshallah, what we'll do is, um, I don't know if that clock is accurate, that one there. So I don't want to speak for too long. This is 9.05 here. I don't know if this will, will this show the, the time until the end or will it go black? Um, I'll, I'll let you know. It's 9.05 right now, so I don't know if it's new. Oh, okay, good. Mubarak, inshallah. <laughs> All right, so um, one way to do it would be for me to set my own uh, watch as an alarm because I'd like to cover certain materials, and then after that I'm going to um, hope that there's time for Q&A to make sure that we've understood it properly. How long did you guys normally have for a session like this? 40 minutes. 40 minutes? Okay. So, now if it's 9.05, then... The other thing that's a little bit interesting is that normally I have the pleasure of speaking in Dearborn first, then when I come here, then it's the second speech, so sometimes it's even more polished, um, especially if it's speaking at the same time on the same day. But now, for whatever reason, Allah has given tawfiq, so here I'll be doing the first speech, and then in Dearborn the second speech. The speeches are repeated, so I've noticed that if I see people in the crowd who've heard both speeches, Sometimes I, even myself, like I want to repeat a joke because I feel that that joke is appropriate for that, but I'm like, oh, somebody heard it. So then I'm like, oh. And then it makes the speech a little dry. Like the speech that I gave last time in Dearborn, I felt a lot more energy. And there was only a few people who had been here for both speeches, but because of then I was thinking, oh, let me change it a little bit. And, um, so you can stay away. If you've already heard it, then that's fine. You've heard it already, inshallah. It'll be recorded. Now, what we're going to be talking about today, inshallah, is the concept of faith. We're going to have to spend several sections actually talking about what Iman is, what faith is. And then hopefully, if there's time for Q&A, then that part will also be useful for me as a, as a speaker, also for you guys. It'll help clear up different points. So hopefully that part will be a bit more interactive. <clears throat> we're going to start off, brothers and sisters, with verse number Three or Surah number 3, verse number 132. Now, there was a little bit of a concern before the idea that if um, brothers and sisters were using their smartphones, then in the middle of the speech, they would start texting and writing and stuff like that. And it's a little distracting as a speaker when you're like, you don't want to be a, talk, a talking head, you know, a bobblehead. Get it over with the 30 minutes and nobody's even paying attention. Right? Um, so we don't want to do that, but if brothers and sisters can use their phones, either that or the Quran, if they're going to get distracted and they're going to be trying to check their text or whatever like that. Um, the reason being that brothers and sisters, as I mentioned before, 
we want to be looking at the Qur'an ourselves and understanding the words of the Qur'an ourselves. The way the leader did this series of lectures is he would explain the actual translation. So you're looking at the Arabic verses. I mentioned before that he would give notes out. And then he wouldn't spend too much time on the intricacies of the tafsir, but rather the Qur'an itself. What's that clear message that we're getting from the Qur'an itself? And because we all believe in Qur'an, it's interesting or it's nice to be able to read it from the Qur'an ourselves and look at it and understand it from us ourselves. So we won't be able to cover his entire lecture um, in this particular session. We'll cover part of it, inshallah. And I've given myself about 30 minutes to see what I can do. So surah number three, verse number 132 is where we're going to be starting. A'udhu billahi min rajim and obey Allah and the Messenger that haply you may receive mercy. If we can look at the actual Arabic for those of you who have it on your phones, the Quran on your phones, or if you're looking at a copy of the Quran, if you can look at the Arabic with me. We already know. And you, plural, obey. Allah wa Rasula and the Prophet, the Rasul, la'allakum turhamun. Maybe, I said happily, that's one way of translating it. Maybe, la'allakum turhamun. Maybe you will be shown mercy. Now, before we get into that verse itself, the leader mentions another verse, which he feels is important. I think that's good for us to understand that overall concept of Iman. What is the Iman that we're talking about? What is that taqwa that we're talking about? What direction is Allah trying to take us in the Holy Quran? Now we'll be moving, before we get to this verse, to verse number 57, surah number 57, verse number 7, 57, 27. We're going to clarify a misunderstanding when it comes to the religion and self-purification. It's part of the verse. The verse, the part that I'm going to be reciting is this one. I don't know if y'all been able to find that verse and then the part that I'm reciting. And monasticism, being a monk. They invented it. You've heard of the word bid'ah, right? They invented it. It's an innovation. We did not ordain it for them. We did not prescribe it for them. So, a little bit of background. There were some Christian monks, and we've heard about this, people who are monks. The concept of being a monk is the idea of, rec- of secluding oneself from society, withdrawing from society, with the niyyah of purifying the self, for instance, of abstaining from the pleasures of this world, getting closer to God. In Islam, we do not have this concept of withdrawing from the dunya in order to become pure. In order to save myself from sin, I withdraw from the dunya, I stay away from people, I don't put myself in tough situations where my taqwa will be tested, my faith will be tested, and that way I'm able to preserve myself, and I'm able to work on myself, and I'm able to get closer to God. That, that, that the monks were doing, God says, we did not prescribe that for them. We didn't ordain that for them. That was an innovation. That was a bid'ah. Why is this so important for us? The taqwa that we're trying to have, brothers and sisters, is a taqwa, a faith. Taqwa, when I say taqwa, if you want to translate it accurately, you can translate it in this way. 
Taqwa means being wary of God. Ittaqullah, be aware of Allah, be wary of Allah, be conscious of God, make decisions based on the idea that God's watching, God's looking. So being wary of God, the concept that we have is the idea of the believer arming his or herself with taqwa and then be able to go into an area where other people are committing sins, the environment has been polluted by sins, but the believer, the mu'min or mu'mina, will be able to rescue sinners. There's one time when the monks, one is afraid, maybe if I go into an area where other people are committing sins, I will lose my own way. Why do I go off in the hills? Why do I live in the mountains? Why do I stay away from society? I don't want to be tested in such a way that I end up committing sins like them. What is Islam saying? You get that taqwa, you arm yourself with taqwa, you're so strong in your faith, you can go into an area where other people are making mistakes, other people are far from God, and the believer is supposed to be able to rescue others. Very different from the Christian concept. We're going to talk about faith now, but very different from the Christian concept. So, something else that we want to keep in mind is the idea that this faith that we're talking about, the taqwa that we're talking about, is something that leads to victory. If there is a nation that has that kind of taqwa, I'm so strong in my faith, I'm not running away from the idea of there being an environment of sin. I'm able to maintain my faith. Not only that, if I see other people are struggling, to take them out. Imagine you have an area where a certain virus has broken out and people stay away from that area thinking, I don't want to go over there, maybe I'll get sick. And other people, they have masks or suits or whatever it is. They go into the area, they're able to take people out. That taqwa is a taqwa that leads to victory. The taqwa that those priests, those monks would have, where I have to stay away because my faith is so weak, I'll be caught up, I think I'm staying away from the dunya, that obviously isn't a sign for victory. Another verse of the Holy Quran, it's again a part of a verse. But now, inshallah, we'll understand that properly. So, Surah Baqarah, Surah number 2, verse number 189, again, part of the verse. Part of the verse. If we look towards one part of the verse, we'll find these words. Allah. Fear God. Be conscious of God. Right? Why? لَعَلَّكُمْ تُفْلِحُونَ Happily, maybe, you will prosper. You'll be successful. You'll have falah. Right? For that kind of taqwa. That kind of taqwa that makes me a strong person. Now, this is something that will re- not regress a little bit, but go into our discussion before we had the honor last night of talking a little bit about Imam al-Sajjad. Salamullahi alayhi. We talked about taqwa. We talked about faith. And we're going to talk about what that verse means. What does it mean? What are we looking for when we're talking about faith? But now let's go a little bit to the image that we want to have in our minds and the image that we want to share with others when it comes to the Ahlul Bayt alayhim as-salam. Do you guys use the word bimar for somebody who's sick in Urdu? Yes. Okay. Have you all ever heard of people referring to Imam Sajjad as the Imam who's bimar, the Imam who's sick? Yes or no? When was he sick? In the day of Ashura, so sick that he wasn't able to wage jihad. But that's not the image that we want to present of the Imam. Like, this is one that, and I want to make sure that we have all understood it properly. Later on, 
we have ever-widening circles where we talk to other people and we try to bring them the right way once we've understood these concepts properly. So our Imams, Ahlul Bayt, alayhim salam we're talking about Mujahideen, the leaders of the resistance, right? Sometimes the image that gets painted in our minds, sometimes even from listening to Majalis, is the idea of the Imam being mazloom, mazloom. He's like oppressed, he's crying every time they bring food. And, and those tears, that's, there's, those tears are true, right? But why cry? Every time they would slaughter an animal, did you offer the animal water, right? So the picture that might be painted in the mind is someone who's always making dua, crying, mazloom, they've killed all of my family members, depressed, for instance, as opposed to someone who is the leader of the resistance. And I want to give you some examples, and not too much time tonight because this isn't the whole discussion, but just so we understand the concept. Taqwa, we said, as the Islamic concept, is it's armor. I go and I rescue people. We don't have the concept of bid'ah. The bid'ah that the monks were doing, stay away from society. No, you go into society. Taqwa, in Islam, I go, it goes right through the dunya. I have a responsibility. Now, with the Imam, what was the Imam like? Sometimes when you look at the life of Imam Sajjad, you'd be very confused by certain stances that he's taking unless you understand what the overall objective is of the Ahlul Bayt and then who they really were. So very briefly, two concepts. One of them is how important when it comes to taqwa and fear of Allah is the concept of having divine leadership, right? Having the world under the rule of God's wali. It's so important that when you look in the words of the hadith, the Imam says this. This, is, this hadith is from Imam Sadiq. He says, Nahnu aslul khair. We Ahlul Bayt, we're the root of all good. Right? The most, all of goodness, if you want to see it summarized, the most important wajib, the most important act of taqwa is having the wali of God and following that wali. He says, Wa furu'uhu ta'atullah. The branches of good are obedience to Allah. So salat and fasting and being good to the parents and all of these things. But aslul khair, the root of all goodness, that's having the wilaya of the wali of Allah. But practically speaking, brothers and sisters, for those of you who were here last night, remember we had this part of the discussion. We said that after the imam, we learned this from the sixth imam, we said after the battle of Karbala, after the battle of uh, the day of Ashura and the battle of Karbala, irtaddanas we covered this yesterday. Everybody left, everybody became murtad, except for three people. Everybody became murtad. And we covered the idea that becoming murtad, it didn't mean people stopped praying and stopped fasting and stopped saying there was one God. Becoming murtad had a deeper reason or deeper understanding. They were not, they were no longer part of the political struggle of the Imam to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. Imam said that they weren't like that, they were murtad. We're talking about real faith. What does real faith mean? Right? So, what were the Imams trying to do? They said that we are actually the root of all good and our enemy not having the wilaya of God in the hands of the righteous. He says, Wa aslu shar. Our enemy is the root of all evil. Having wilaya in the hand, the wilaya of society in the hands of the wicked, that's the cause of all corruption. 
the branches of that, the smaller acts of disobedience, are the sins that we see. The alcohol, zina, homosexuality, all of those other things, those are smaller than the real cause of all corruption. Okay, so now, the Ahlul Bayt obviously wouldn't be indifferent to sins that are taking place in society. Now, the stances of Imam Sajjad, and hopefully I can just make this quick and then move on to the other points that I had to address. When you see the stances of Imam Sajjad, you see that he was very different in some of his stances. For instance, in Kar- right after Karbala, when he's leading that group of Usara, the prisoners, he's in the courtyard of Ubaidullah. Over there, you see the Imam, he is revolutionary, fiery. His speeches, they go over, Ibn, um, Ubaidullah threatens our Imam. We're saying that the normal way that we're perceiving the Imam is bimar, and he's mazloom, and he's this, he's sick, right? But in the courtyard of Yazid, you see the Imam, and they threaten him with death. He says, you're threatening me with death? He says that shahada is an, a, normal, a norm for us. It's karama to die in the way of God, right? And then you see him later on with um, the, 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 the ruler later, you see that the imam is calm and collected and sometimes even gentle. So in the time when there is most pressure, you see him in that way, and then you see in other times a calculated movement of the imam, right? Working for the long term. And then later, if we ever get a chance to talk about the life of Imam Sajjad, what was the imam doing then? Why was he in Kufa and Sham, so ferocious in the courtyard of Yazid? Then later he's quiet and peaceful with the same imam. It goes back to that goal of Ahlul Bayt and the reason why the imam was martyred. Right? Someone who is just making dua and crying, there's no reason to kill him. Depressed, he's just depressed. He, every time he sees water, he's... Right? That's very different from that calculating leader that we know with the Ahlul Bayt. Now, because we don't have much time, I have to quickly move away from that and go back to that verse. So let's go back to the verse that we actually started with. Surah 3, verse number 132. And obey Allah and the Messenger, maybe you'll be granted mercy. Now, what's the difference between obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obedience of the Prophet? Right? The first point the leader makes, and I feel a little bit rushed because I feel like I want to get everything. <laughs> Salawat, please. So, the first question, what's the difference between obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obedience to the Prophet? Aren't they the same thing? This is what we learn. There were other people, even those who were opposed to the Prophet of God, who also claimed to be worshipping Allah, to be obeying Allah. Even those who are in the opposite camp, you won't find most people openly being devil worshippers, for instance. You know, we are wicked, right? You even find presidential candidates, now that the times have changed, talking about their relationship with God. It's difficult nowadays to, I don't believe, I worship the devil, I want to bring, wreak havoc. Most people don't accept that. Now, so even those who are opposed to the prophet, opposed to God, will also be claiming. In the time of the Holy Prophet, they even claim more than that. And some people claim the same now. Let's look at the verses of Quran and then answer that first question. This is now Surah 5, verse number 
وقالت اليهود والنصارى. If you can see the verse yourselves, the Yahud say, the Christians say, نحن أبناء الله وأحباؤه. That we are the children of God and his beloved ones. So the Prophet on one side is saying that he's a servant of God. They're saying something even higher than a Nabi. I'm God's son. Right? I'm the beloved one of God. Right? So both camps are saying that they're obeying Allah. They're not opposed in that way. At least theoretically, they're not saying that we're opposed to God. What happens the first part of the, the first part or the first answer is the idea that it needs to be clear who's really obeying God. If you're really obeying God, then you're obeying the Prophet of God. If you're opposed to the Prophet of God and you claim to be obeying God or the friend of God or the son of God, right, then there's something that's seriously wrong. So this one, one of the lessons that we're getting from this verse is the idea this makes it clear which line we're actually on. Now, second point, how different is this verse and this understanding of God and Islam and faith to what we traditionally hear? The verse said, obey Allah and obey the Prophet, maybe God will have mercy on you. Let's look at the verse again. Maybe Allah will have mercy. If you do your good deeds, if you do your wajibah, maybe Allah will have mercy. Whereas the traditional way of understanding is that mercy is for those times that I disobey Allah. I don't do enough good deeds. I commit certain sins. I live a sinful lifestyle. But I have one hope. My hope is that Allah will have mercy. That's what mercy is for. But what's the, the correct Quranic way of understanding it? You do everything you can, then maybe God will have mercy. Right? That's the verse. We're reading the verse. As opposed to that lazy way of, no, I, I commit sins and I, I, I don't honor my commitments to Allah. I don't do, fulfill my covenants. But Allah will have mercy on the last day. I'll do, Imam Hussein will do shafat and it'll be okay. Complete opposite to what we're learning from the Quran. That's one. The next thing, so we don't believe that mercy, rahmah, is a replacement for amal and doing good deeds. The opposite of what people are thinking. That I don't do good deeds, but there's always the mercy of Allah. No, absolutely not. That's one. The next one is also very important. What does obedience mean? Right? We're talking about faith. What does it mean to be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This one also is very important, brothers and sisters. Very important. True obedience means that we have to do everything God says. We don't get to pick and choose. I have my own favorite parts of the religion. I have some things I'm uncomfortable with. I don't like. I don't think that's right. You, you may have heard some of these discussions from Muslims. There's certain parts of the religion I'm uncomfortable with. I don't, you know. I could give examples, but inshallah, let me not give examples, right? Inshallah, whether, instead of me giving examples, and instead of us pointing fingers, one time we're sitting here, we're like, yeah! Those bad Muslims, God help them. I remember hearing a story once. They said that there was these two old ladies. And they had so many adventures together. They're elderly now. Now they would just occasionally get together to play Uno. So they're sitting there together and they were playing Uno. And they wanted the old ladies. They'd known each other for decades. She said, you know, 
I really, forgive me for asking, forgive me for saying this, but I've forgotten your name. I know we've been together so long, but I've forgotten your name. Don't get angry. Could you just tell me your name? And her friend just looked at her. And she was so angry, just glaring at her. Finally, after about three minutes, she said, how soon do you need to know? Sometimes it's like that. We don't want to be blaming anyone. Let's look ourselves and see, are we that way or not? Now, brothers and sisters, as believers, faith now, what does faith mean? We don't get to choose when it comes to God's religion. We don't get to certain parts of the faith we do. Other parts, it's okay. We do haram in this area. It's okay. Rahm is there. Obey Allah and the Prophet. Everything God said, maybe God will have mercy after that. So let's look at some of the verses of the Holy Quran. One of them is the idea of picking and choosing. There's a story if there was time. No, I'm running out of time. So let me just go over the verses very quickly. Um, Surah 33 and verse number 36. We'll read the verse together. Surah th- Can you all find it on your phones or am I moving too fast? Surah Ahzab. Surah Ahzab, verse number 36. Anybody found it? Raise, one person raise their hand on the sister's side. One. Okay. On the brother's side, anybody found it? Even one brother? One, one of the Ansar, inshallah. Surah Ahzab, sorry. Surah 33, verse number 36. You have, anybody found it? Oh, okay. One of the brothers found it. Alhamdulillah. Okay. وَمَا كَانَ If y'all can read along with me. وَمَا كَانَ لِمُؤْمِنٍ وَلَا مُؤْمِنَ It is not for a believing man or a believing woman. إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَرَ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ When Allah and His Messenger have decided on a matter to have any option in the matter. Once God decided, that's it. That's what it means. If if the person is a mu'min, if the person is a believer, there's no choosing. I'm not comfortable. I don't like that. Once got it. Now, the example, if there was time, I would explain a little bit of the story of Zainab. If you remember, when Zainab didn't want to marry Zaid, Zainab was one of the noblest tribes. Hashemi, one of the noblest tribes. And the prophet wants to marry her to Zaid, a slave. And Zainab was not happy. Not Lady Zainab. Like, sorry, make sure we know which Zainab we're talking about. We're talking about that Zainab who becomes the wife of the Prophet. Not Lady Zainab, who's the Prophet's daughter. Right? There was a lady named Zainab. She's the wife of the Holy Prophet. That Zainab. So what happened to that Zainab is that she was chosen. The Prophet said that actually I want you to marry Zaid. Somebody who's from a much lower social political, social status than you. A slave, a freed slave who's now the Prophet's adopted son. But the Quran says that you don't have any choice. Once God has decided, you just obey. The beautiful thing was she did that. Later on she ends up being the wife of the Prophet. Later on in the story... but. That's another point. That if I obey God, then what will God do for me? That's another point. Now, and I, mentioned, and I have to mention this also. Another thing that's important, brothers and sisters, are our feelings when it comes to obedience of Allah. So the first time we said that absolute obedience to God, more than that, how do you feel about obeying Allah? 
do you do it with resentment? Well, nothing I can do. La ilaha illallah. In my heart, I don't like it, but I just obey. Let's look at how God views these things, right? We're talking about real mu'minin now. How does God view the heart and a believer, a mu'min or mu'mina, having a problem in their heart about something that God decided, some rule of Allah? So, Surahs 4, verse number 65. Let's see if any brother or sister can find it. Inshallah, one of the brothers, one of the sisters, at least one helper. Surah 4, Surah Nisa, verse number 65. Anybody found it? Alhamdulillah, one helper, two helpers, mashallah. Sisters said, oh wow, alhamdulillah, sisters are quick. Okay, let's read the verse of Quran together. And I want to translate the verse. If you can look at the Arabic with me, then we're reading the words of God. We're understanding what God says. Not somebody telling us, or even tafsir, we're just looking. Fala wa rabbika. So God does qasam. Do y'all say qasam in Urdu? Yes. Like to swear, an oath. God swears. Fala wa rabbik. Know by your Lord. God's swearing by himself. Know by your Lord. He says, La yu'minun. Yu'minun, iman, they don't have faith. La yu'minun, they do not believe. So no, God swears by himself. He says, swears by Allah himself, by himself. And he swears that they do not believe, he says, Until they place you, the prophet, and make you a judge in their disputes. Okay? Let's back up one second. We, so we do not believe, we haven't even talked about what happens next, okay? But now, until you take the prophet of God, to be a judge in your disputes. We're going to decide by Quran and Sunnah. Until you take the Prophet of God as your, as your judge in your disputes, you don't believe. And I want to explain also sometimes how Allah, the Prophet judges between you. Because one time it's theoretical. Theoretically, yeah, I accept a lot of Islam. Theoretically, I accept everything. It's applied Islam now. The Prophet dealing in your personal life, doing a decision that you don't particularly like. There's a dispute. You, me and you are disputing. Let me explain a hadith of the Prophet to make it a little bit more difficult and back to the verse. The Prophet says this. He says, when it comes to your disputes, I decide, if you go to an Islamic court, I decide between you based on qasam, based on people giving oaths, and bayyina, witnesses, testimony. Right? The Prophet, when he's going to judge between us, will the Prophet judge between us based on ilmul ghayb? The Prophet knows really who did what. He doesn't do that. What does he do it on? Your testimony. You go, you present your case before the Prophet, and then he, he does it. Last point, inshallah, the Q&A if there's any time left. After, this one's important. What are we talking about? So we're talking about faith. We're talking about obedience. We came to the idea that we have to obey Allah in absolutely everything. We don't have any choice in the matter. If we're mu'mineen, and now we're saying not only that, even your emotions and how you feel in the bottom of your heart is important to God. So, the example I was giving you, that when the Prophet decides between you and I, he doesn't do it based on ilmul ghayb. Rather, people come over and they give testimony. Is this your water? You, say, you, have, you, have, you can say that yes, it was in my disposal, for instance, or there's witnesses, he's going to decide. The Prophet says something else. 
He says, some of you are better than others at presenting your proof. Some people, I don't know if we have any lawyers in our, in our crowd. Sisters, are there any lawyers on the sister side? It's okay, it's not a, a sin. No? Brothers? No lawyers? Huh? No, 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 no. Okay. Anyhow, but lawyers, with lawyers, we're all, we're all here in America. Some lawyers are more clever than others. They can make the truth disappear in front of the eyes of the jury, for instance. Right? The prophet says, some of you, because I'm going to be judging between you based on witnesses, who gives qasam, I'm not going to use al mulghayt He says, I may give one of you the property of one of another, another person, based on the qasam. Right? I'll give it the property. He says, I'm giving you fire. There's ultimate justice. Right? But I'm going to be doing that. Don't think that I, because the prophet ruled, now I tricked the prophet, and now this is really my property. Now imagine, brothers and sisters, the prophet decided, and he went based on this thing, and now he did his responsibility. How do you and I feel about the prophet? Right? He didn't decide in my favor. He did, but he did his responsibility. Now, this one, how do I feel about the decisions of the prophet? Okay, so this is what the prophet says, the, the verse says now. It says, "Fala wa la They do not believe until they make you the judge in those disputes that uh, come between them. Next, thumma la yajidu fi taslima." He says that they do not then they do not find any dissent in their hearts, any resistance in their hearts to your verdict, and submit with full submission. Another hadith to make it even more scary. Hadith now from the sixth Imam. It says, if there were a group of people who worshipped Allah and considered Him to be one, they were monotheists. Monotheists. Then when it came to something the Prophet did, so these people were believers, they worship Allah, they do everything, but the Prophet did something and they said, I wish the Prophet had done it a little differently. He says, In the bottom of their hearts, they say, I, I don't think the Prophet should have done it like that. I don't like, I'm not comfortable with that. What's the hadith say? Kanu bidalika mushrikeen. Even to feel uncomfortable with something the Prophet did, that's shirk. Does it mean the person's najis? No. But really, I have a problem with what God decided. Right? Najis, and we can't just say, oh yeah, theoretically in the Quran, no, no. When the Prophet's applying Islam, do I like that? Now, so, inshallah, we'll, we'll, we'll end with that. Let me leave, inshallah, some room if there's time for questions and answers. Sallu ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. Oh, I didn't set my alarm. That's <laughs> Okay. I don't know if you want to do five minutes of questions and answers. Yeah. Okay. I'll just cut this off. All right. We'll keep it short.